All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of the Ashish David Show. As I told you, people from all around the world are getting in touch with me, and that's exactly how uh, you know uh, this wonderful lady is with us today. Before we get into our guest today, let me tell you a little bit about the show. The show is a talk show. If this is the first time that you are uh, watching or hearing the show. then you need to know that we are on a lot of different platforms including facebook youtube instagram um where else are we we are on spotify we are on apple podcast google podcast uh stitcher public radio and a lot of other platforms as well most importantly we are probably on your favorite content platform so if you haven't you know uh, checked us out yet consider subscribing this is a show where you get to meet a lot of different people almost every other day this is the third season coming to our guest today well this is you know a, a a lady who i met in delhi i think uh in the uh, 2018 time probably uh we we met at a a live concert at at a lot, lot of different venues that were happening you know there were music shows happening and she would always turn up because she's very very passionate about music as well so without any further ado welcome judy to the ashish david show Thank you very much Ashish and Ayubawan from beautiful Sri Lanka. So you're in the you know beautiful place Sri Lanka. You are looking beautiful today and the painting behind you is beautiful as well. Thank you. That's a painting that I bought in Nepal a long long time ago from the artist, a brilliant artist. I'm going to give him a plug, Manish Lal Shrestha. He paints sounds of what he hears in temples. Um it's Wow. beautiful it's beautiful and it travels with me around the world it's not exactly convenient luggage but you can't have everything well it's traveling right now on the ashish david show yeah <laughs> judy how how does it feel to to be on the ashish david show how how are you feeling right now oh well number one it's a great break in a very rainy stormy windy day down here in sri lanka and of course with uh, covid and everything being closed banned not possible it's really lovely to be able to actually sit and chat to you and everyone else who's had the pleasure of listening and just talk about life talk about things that matter to us absolutely and and that's exactly what we're going to do so judy uh, how would you describe judy smith to someone who knows absolutely nothing uh, about you pretty much a nice person well i as as she said we met in india however many years ago it was and i'd been in india for 6 years after leaving australia long story and i just i just found india was really starting to grate on me and it was just becoming so expensive and so i was looking around for somewhere else to live and i thought why well, on sri lanka's nice sri lanka's just down the road from india so i can still go and visit everybody there so i came down here um it was meant to be a short trip and i'd keep going back to india but then i didn't go back to india last march because no one was allowed to go anywhere and so i'm still here because i can't work out a cheap way to get to australia which is about the only country i can get into now with my australian passport So I'm just here enjoying the tropical island life. Pineapples for everybody. <laughs> yeah, Judy, I have to tell you I I love your Australian accent by the way. I can listen to you throughout the show and not do any talking at all. <laughs> You're one of the few. I I have friends in Delhi that I've known for 8 9 years and still they look at me and they say what? Pardon? I didn't understand. <laughs> Now I don't know if they didn't understand. or be just being they're just being delhiites yeah exactly but i love <laughs> them <laughs> so judy let's start you know from the very beginning because i'm pretty sure all the guests want to know more about you so tell us about you know your childhood uh, what was it like which city were you in uh, what mischief was uh, you know the the 10 year old 12 year old 7 8 year old judy up to well i was born an exceedingly long time ago so long ago in fact that i've got a seniors shopping discount card in sri lanka and that's <laughs> as far as I'm and um i'm the oldest of two girls and my adventurous life as i like to call it started when i was about 4 years old apparently and i had these little blue corduroy overalls on and a little basket and i decided i was going to run away from home and so i put some biscuits in the basket and then i then i dug a little hole and under our front picket fence 
and I ran away down the street because I wasn't running very fast because I only had little legs and my father caught up with me. That was that was unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been causing trouble ever since, I think. I was, um, I was pretty badly behaved at school. I was always on detention. I was always getting into trouble. And I remember I had one teacher who used to hit us with the feather duster. Every day I got smacked with that feather duster until they discovered that I wasn't just being obnoxious, but I actually had such bad eyesight that I couldn't see what the teacher was writing on the blackboard. And then I guess I was a typical Australian teenager in the 70s, doing everything you're not supposed to do, much to the horror of my parents. It was like, it's almost too embarrassing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, please, you can talk about all the embarrassing stories because you're on the Ashley David show. <laughs> Oh, I don't think I should. Well, there was one particular time a bunch of us had gone out to see a band at a local wine bar, which was the in thing back then. There was this really awful Australian sparkling red wine, I mean, even the thought makes me shudder, called Cold Duck. Of course, we used to call it something else. And we had a cold duck drinking competition for reasons best known to ourselves. And the the person who hadn't drunk that much was before the drink driving laws came in, was driving a combi van. So he was going to drop us all home. But unfortunately, we were all really drunk. and We were rolling around in the back of the combi van like so many <laughs> disused mattresses. And someone yelled out they were going to be sick. So he pulled up the van and we slid open the door. And people were busy going, you know. And a policeman walked up. And here we oh, all are, wow. all these drunk teenagers <laughs> throwing up in the street. And I rem I realised that it was like just around the corner from home. So I said, oh, it's okay, I'll walk. Famous last words. I got home and made it halfway up the front stairs and then I just couldn't go any further. I just, I just lost it. So the next morning my father was coming out to go and collect the daily newspaper, opens the front door and there's his darling daughter sprawled out on the front porch. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I was real popular after that. <laughs> <laughs> and which city were you growing up in? Tell us a little bit about that as well. I was in Sydney, um, in, out, out in the suburbs, a, a place called Greenacre that nobody's ever heard of. Um, it was quite near to Bankstown, which a few people have heard of because that's where the great cricketer Steve Waugh comes from. Um, that's my link with Steve Waugh. Well, I used to actually um, deal with his parents on voting day because I used to work on the voting booths and I worked in his area and the parents would always come in and I'd say, oh, do you want, a, do you want an absentee vote for Steve as well? Yeah, okay, there you go. Um, yeah, and then I went to, foolishly, I went to Teachers College, which was an exceedingly bad idea. Um, but back in like 1976, that's kind of what girls did in Australia. You either went to teacher's college, you became a nurse, or you went and worked in a bank or at the L'Oreal counter at a department store. So I went to teacher's college, which uh, was pretty much a huge failure, I have to admit. I lasted for two out of three years, and um, I realised I just can't deal with children. I just, it's just something I cannot do. You know, when you're at the front of the class, doing practice teaching, and all you hear is, Miss, Miss, I need to pee. Miss, Miss, she pulled my hair. Miss, Miss, he's picking on me. He's just like, oh, please, when does the club <laughs> open? <laughs> but we did have, they, in the first year they used to put us out two um, student teachers to one class. And this girl Maureen and I, we got the, a sixth class. So their kid's about 11, 12. And this class had one boy who was just the most hideous child I have ever met. It was no surprise to me that about five years later, he was in the local paper in the, in the news police column, having murdered somebody. He was, he was really big. He was about the same size as me, and I was like 17, 18 at the time. He was as tall as me. He was really well built. And he, would, he was just despicable. You'd see him up the front of the class so you could see what he was doing. And as you were, you know how teachers walk around the classroom to say, oh, how's that? Oh, that's a lovely drawing, Timmy. What is it? Um, he would stick his feet out from under the desk and trip you over. I ended up headfirst in the art supply cupboard one day. <laughs> <laughs> 
boy. So Maureen and I were told by the um, <clears throat> teacher, the guy from the college who comes to assess you, that we were going to fail because we couldn't control the class because this kid was just out of control. So we said to him, well, okay, since you're so clever, you're the professor, you come and show us how it's done, because we'd really like to know. So, of course, he turns up, and this kid just put it on. And this guy, it was just total mayhem in the class, and Maureen and I were just sitting up the back going, do you think we're going to pass? Yeah, I think we're going to pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super. But what was, uh, what was Sydney like in the 70s? Like, you know, what was uh, the... It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. We had, like, there was great bands in pubs every night of the week. And there were a few really iconic night spots where you could go and international acts who'd come out to tour that you would have paid, like, $20 for back then. That was a lot of money. You could see them at a local pub for, like, $2 with a local band that was supporting them. And more often than not, the local band would be someone like, mental as anything, my sex, if you don't know them, look them up, they're great, in excess. So, I mean, I was there when all those great bands, ACDC, of course, with Bon Scott, um, I got to see all of those bands and some really great international acts uh, for, for not much money at all. And sadly, the pub scene in uh, Sydney is really, it's died in the last 10 years. Uh, but it was, like, really vibrant. And there was a real sort of, Mumbai, Delhi thing going on with Sydney and Melbourne about who had the best bands. And there was a particular Melbourne sound and a particular Sydney sound. Wow. Sydney and and what were these, what were, some of the, what were the names of these places uh, back in the day that, you know, you used to uh, go to and you used to love? Oh, well, um, <clears throat> there was a place, what was it called? French's Wine Bar, the diviest place. It had unisex toilets, I'll never forget. And it had this really nasty, what used to be mint green carpet. Why you would have carpet in the pub, I don't know. And it was <laughs> sticky. And so you'd be walking along in your platform shoes, right? And your feet would stick to the carpet. You hear it. Uh. Oh. oh, it was gross. And you, rather aptly, you had to descend down some really scary looking stairs to get there. Um, that used to have a lot of punk bands there as well, um, quite a few. And there were some big hotels by the by the sea, the Coogee Bay Oceanic. My God, they used to get a lot of international acts like Osabisa. See, I'm old. Um, all sorts of things like that. And they'd always say, "You're 18, aren't you?" And you go, "Yeah, of course I am. Of course I'm. You're not. You're 16, but." They just let you in anyway. Um, and the other great thing we used to do back then, which was always fun, was go to the drive-in. Sydney had a lot of drive-in theatres. I used to live quite near to one. And the trick was you'd go and buy a case of beer or whatever, right? And then you'd have, say, three people in the car, but four in the boot. And so you'd drive in to save three people. And then you'd go in. And, of course, back then the drive-ins had those um, speakers, the really heavy speakers, like you see on old movies, that you have to wind your window down a bit and you put the speaker on there. So, of course, if the driver of the car wants to get out to go to the snack bar, smack goes the thing and often you'd lose your window. So they used to have patrols <laughs> going around in the back rows of the um, drive-in to see how many people were getting, jumping out of the boot of the car. It was a good, cheap, fun entertainment. Yeah, it was very naughty. I'm, I'm sorry, Hoyts, or whoever owned the drivings. I'm really sorry. <laughs> oh, God. So crazy story, man. So that's that's pretty awesome. Um, so, so it was quite happening at that time. Like, a lot of stuff was happening in Sydney. Like, new bands coming out all the time. It was like everyone who went to art college. We had big art college there, graphic arts. They were in a band. Like Every second person was in a band. And it's just what you did because you could go to the pub. You didn't have to get dolled up or anything. You know, just go to the pub, pay your dollar or your two dollars to get in, buy a jug of beer because that was the cheapest way to do it. Um, party hard and go home. And that's, that's the kind of stuff we do four or five nights a week. 
which is probably why most of us never achieved anything at college. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were having so much fun. However, I did get a perfect score on Cuisinaire rods when I was at Teachers College, and I'm very proud of that. Do you know what Cuisinaire rods are? No, not really. They're coloured um, coloured bits of wood that are different lengths for 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. And you used to use them to teach children maths. But, of course, all they ever did was build things with them, you yeah. know. <laughs> and so at Teachers College, we had a semester on teaching with Cuisinaire rods. I was like, oh, good grief. My goodness, how stupid. But anyway, I got full marks on that as opposed to conducting a choir which i failed so okay so you were in in your uh, teacher's college and you were doing that what what happened after that what was the next phase of uh, judy and uh, what mischief was she up to then the, well the next phase of judy was i was unemployed for quite some time like a lot of people were back then uh, the economy was really bad like a lot of other people i was house sharing in newtown which was a sort an inner city place that used to be kind of grungy and punky and rocky and it had a lot of Italian, Malaysian, Lebanese restaurants. It was a very happening, funky kind of place, but quite run down. Um, and that's where everybody was, you know. And every street corner basically had a pub and you just wander up there and listen to a band and go home again. But then the um, Commonwealth Employment Services, they were called back then, the government agency that looked after people who weren't doing anything all day, told me I had to sit for the public service exam. So I thought, okay. So I sat for that with a hangover and I passed. Well, it was pretty hard not to. And so I got a job with what's called, the was the Department of Social Security, which hands out welfare, pensions, all that kind of stuff. And I got a placement at an office about five minutes drive from home, which was excellent. Um, and I worked there for 21 years, not in the same office, not doing the same stuff. And everyone used to go to the pub for lunch. People would go to the pub after. Some people lived in the pub by the look of them. But the great thing about the public service was you get a lot of holidays and you would get, after 10 years, you got what's called long service leave, which is a completely unknown thing to most people on the planet. And so in addition to your four weeks full pay holidays a year, you would get three months full pay or six months half pay. And every oh. year, all got added on to your long service leave balance. So that's when I really started traveling with a vengeance because I could take three months off on half pay plus my four weeks holidays. I could go to Asia and I'd come back with money in the bank. You know, if I stayed home, I didn't have money in the bank. Uh, so that really enabled me to really get going on traveling. Thank goodness for that. So the dream that you had, you know, when you were actually little and you tried to run away from home. <laughs> with, my, with my packet of biscuits. Yeah, with your packet of biscuits was actually coming true now. It was. It was. It was, it was brilliant. Um, I mean, it was so different to the way most recent travel gets done. There was no internet, there was no mobile phones, there was no credit card, that, that kind of stuff in most places. So usually I would leave home, half of my backpack would be rolls of film, then I'd have a wad about this big of traveller's checks um, and a few items of clothing thrown in for good measure and off you go. When you wanted to meet someone, you'd say to them, oh, well, I'll be in Kathmandu on the 4th, so let's meet about 2 o'clock in the afternoon outside that cafe near the tree opposite the temple, blah, blah, blah. And they go, yeah, yeah, okay, great. And you either ran into them or you didn't. You know, it was, it was all very sort of haphazard and people having to borrow money from people because they couldn't change a traveller's cheque and stuff like that. But it was all, people were very trusting back then. I had one guy lend, lend me money at the, at the border of Nepal and India coming from Darjeeling because they wouldn't accept the notes that I had and so then I paid him back the next day in Kathmandu and, and, and you know, people would do that for each other and it just it wasn't a hassle. It was always difficult keeping in touch with home. 
that was the hard part i mean now it's 2021 but back then you know things are very different so what are some of the stock changes that you see and you kind of find amusing now i i find it funny when people really kind of freak out about not having a plan i my plan usually was something like well i've got this plane ticket and i'll probably i'll go to this place and then i'll i'll see what happens a lot of my stuff that that was as far as i got i'd book a hotel for the first night that i arrived somewhere and then i'd kind of make it up as i go along because because they weren't the online resources or anything like you had the good old lonely planet that most people carried around but of course by the time that was printed the information was out of date but it was the best that you had what you did you'd go into a cafe or a museum or a bookshop or whatever and you would meet people and you would talk to them and you'd say hey didn't i see you at the museum <laughs> the other day was that you yeah, where have you been and that's how you found out about places to go and so there was none of this looking up stuff on the internet you know you just went off and you did it and that's kind of it's good but it's i mean it's sad that we don't have that anymore that people don't don't feel like they can do that um because you know still i travel mostly on my own and i'll happily walk up to someone and say oh do you mind if i sit here or or oh hi you know you sound like you're from ireland or whatever you know like have a chat with people but the, i think people now are a little bit more afraid to put themselves out there yes i i think Just, that's true mm and it's a shame because the world <clears throat> goes around because people connect not because people don't you know people say oh i'd be too in- how could you go out and sit in a restaurant on your own i'd be too embarrassed i'm like what's embarrassed about eating who cares what people think and and you know uh, unfortunately judy these days uh, so a lot of younger people are also listening to this watching the show listening to the show the one thing that i get from a lot of them is that uh, you know you're into radio you sing you do like all these bunch of things that i do and they like you know i think i want to sing but uh, you know i'm too afraid of the criticism that i might get and so there's that whole yeah. um, you know uh, analysis paralysis thing happening exactly analysis paralysis i like that and i don't know if it's the society or the way people are brought up or just the whole pressure of social media and everything <laughs> you know when i was growing up like If you had a fight in the schoolyard, well your mum would find out because the teacher told her, but it wasn't spread all over the internet for the whole whole city to know about, you know? Yes. Um and with everybody wanting to put up videos of this that and the other and oh quick take a selfie, no take another one, take oh my god, take 15 selfies before I look all right, you know. I mean some of my selfies are so hilariously bad <laughs> all of them actually. But um you know, I think th- there's this real fear for people of looking foolish or being made fun of you know and as anyone who's seen me in karaoke at Delhi I don't care if I look like a fool I'm enjoying myself if you're not enjoying it you don't have to listen <laughs> absolutely so judy like you know this is something i like to do on my show uh, i like to pick on you know the expertise or the experience of my guest in order to help the audience in some way so you know if if one of those shy kids is watching right now you've had like the most awesome life i think you know out of a lot of my guests i think you've traveled most you've enjoyed most you know you're a carefree chilled out person a bit longer than most too <laughs> <laughs> so you know just three simple tips that you know you would like to give to someone who's kind of in that you know age bracket and they're very apprehensive about just going out there and doing whatever they want to do I mean right now it's of course there's a lockdown happening but you know besides yeah. that well i think you need to be confident in your ability to know that you can give it a go because giving something a go is the first step to doing it well if you never try you'll never ever know yeah so don't be afraid um, to give whatever you want a go point number 1 exactly it's, even if the first time you try if if you want to do singing for example if the first time you try you do it at home and you record yourself and you look at it and you go oh my goodness that that was a bit off well that's okay nobody else saw it and once you know what's off you can then start to make it right you know if you want to change your career but you think well i've always been um 
a bank worker? How could I possibly become a painter? Well, obviously you want to paint. Do you like paint? Just start. You just have to start. Be be a little bit brave. And if you have um, like a, a friend or a, a relative, but normally a friend, whose opinion you actually value and trust, run it past them and say, this is what I think I want to do. This is what I'm nervous about. Well, what's your opinion honestly? It needs to be someone who's going to tell you honestly without judgment. And a lot of people will say you can't do that because of some crazy reason that's not actually valid. It's not that you personally can't do it, but they think you shouldn't do it because it will upset your mother or you shouldn't do it because that career change is a really bad idea. I've changed careers so many times and I'm still here. Um, you, I mean, the ultimate point of being alive is to be happy. It's to be happy because if you're happy, you can then spread happiness. You People will be happy to meet you because you're, you're jolly and you're lively and you've got something positive to say. There's so much negativity in the world right now. It just... I can't tell you the last time I watched the news. I just, I'm not interested. I want I want things that are going to brighten my day, not darken it, you know? There's enough yes. gloom and doom around here. If there's something that you, that you feel you're going to be happy doing, try it. You never know. It just might work. And if it doesn't work and you can't make it work or you, for whatever reason, don't want to make it work, at least you tried. At least you gave it a go. That's what I think. That's a good place to start, you know. If you don't try, how will you know? You know, mentally you have to get through that barrier of I can't. And then go to a place where you say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it anyway. It's going to be fun to try. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's it's amazing where you can land up if you just, if you just take that first step. You know, you just got to say to yourself, who's going to die if I do this thing? Right, that, that was something my dad always used to say. When something went wrong, he'd say, well, nobody died, did they? And I said, well, no. He said, well, then it's all right. If you go out and enter a dancing competition, even if you're a really crap dancer like me, right? well, okay, they might say, pretty terrible, but you're not going to die, you know? Not even of embarrassment or shame, because that just doesn't happen. That's not real. Yes. <laughs> if it was, I probably should have years ago. <laughs> <laughs> You, you decided that, okay, fine, I'm getting half pay. And then you decided that, wow, I, I need to like sort of discover this, you know, thing that I've always wanted to do is to travel the world. So tell yeah. us when, when, when that happened, what did Judy do first? Like, what was the first thing that you did after that? Well, the first thing I did was I jumped on a plane and I went to India in <clears throat> 1988. It's a very different place back then. And then I went up to Nepal, which was also a very different place back then. And um, that was it. I was hooked. From then on, I was... I'd always been fascinated with India, even when I was, like, a little kid. I remember we had this um, hideous mall that opened up near us. And it was it was on the way home from school. So all, all us, you know, teenage ne'er-do-wells would end up there for milkshakes. Which is not like the milkshakes bring the boys to my yard, okay? <laughs> um, and they they had all these different little booths, uh, like they had a London one and all this. And they had, I'll never forget it, it was an India booth. And it was this really, probably very crap painting of the Taj Mahal at night up the back. And it had these sort of all ornate, pretend plywood jali petitions, right? So I always used to go and sit in there and have my chocolate milkshake. Um, so I'd, I'd probably always been fascinated by it for some unknown reason. And so after going there in 88, I was like, yeah, okay, I'm traveling every year on my holidays. That's just what I'm doing, you know. And so I did. Um, and then I traveled to Pakistan at, after seeing a slideshow, do you remember those? A slideshow at my next door neighbor's house of his trip to Pakistan. He was a great traveler too. And so we'd have slideshows, excuse to drink cheap wine. Um, and I thought, I'm going to Pakistan. And people said to me, are you crazy? You're a woman going to Pakistan on your own. I went, please, come on. It was brilliant, it was brilliant. Then I went to Tibet. And then I just kept traveling to those places. 
tell me uh, like some of the things that you remember particularly from india back in the 80s you know some, some strong memories that you have and what you remember of india at that time i of course the first time i landed there i just thought good grief what am i doing what is wrong with you judith ann um <laughs> i remember probably much the same as it is now for younger women all, all the men were very interested in being helpful uh, the queues at the pco trying to make a call home to tell <laughs> mum that i haven't been abducted yet it was a lot more relaxed like it was still hectic india's always hectic but it was kind of a relaxed chilled hectic which delhi isn't like now but of course back then delhi had i don't know how many million people but it and it was much much less built up you know i can remember when gurgaon was farmers fields when the drive to agra took you almost all day from delhi in an ambassador that kept breaking down it was less corporate and frantic i think is what it was because india by then it was still closed pretty much like it, it was only when um manmohan opened up the currency and stuff like that that india really started i feel started to kind of explode before that it was still just good old india i mean the delhi metro has been one of the most fabulous thing in delhi so much better and i still have never ever caught a public bus in delhi in all these years <laughs> i pride myself on that <laughs> yes and it must it must be like it must have been so much fun because um you know i've i've always believed judy that the 70s and the 80s were like some of the best times you know i mean i'm i'm sure that definition might be different for you maybe you like the 60s and the 50s better excuse me i wasn't alive for all of the 50s <laughs> just 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 the last five months how rude oh, i'm insulted <laughs> <laughs> but was was there a lot of like you know this beatles mania happening at that time you know in in india no oh, oh india's always been a bit um beatles mania i think you know and of course uh, a lot of the hippies that went there in the 60s and early 70s and that they went there because the beatles had been there i mean in a lot of ways india is still kind of trapped in the 60s and 70s but hurtling towards the 23rd century at the same time you know it's, yes it's it, it's an incongruous kind of place it's it's two extreme levels of something which kind of basically sums up india doesn't it yeah it's never straight down the middle it's like a it's contrast kind of, of extremes i guess yes yeah there's there's never anything that's just nicely sailing down the middle of the road it's it, it's either uncle in his pony cart on one side and the guy in the lamborghini on the other you know that's just how it is what were the other countries that you traveled to at that time and uh, what were the you know good or bad experiences you had that you can sort well, of Nepal, distinctly remember Nepal is my other favorite country Nepal is um, <laughs> and it's changed so so much um i i got sort of adopted into a family there back in 1992 i think it was um a local brahmin family and there's still my family there today um it's just lovely people that was at um in diwali for the baitika um so that's really cute and he's my he's my brother he just calls me didi and there are people that I've known in the pool for you know 30 years that don't actually know my name I'm just Puru's didi that's who I am you know? <laughs> I tell oh, didi you're back hello um and so that that was really lovely to make that kind of special friendship because when I met Puru he was a night manager at the Kathmandu guest house and he used to not want to let me in when i'd come home from the hotel and a purna disco drunk at 3 in the morning um and i'd be like let me in or i'm going to kill you um and we became really good friends and so when i went back the next time i got adopted and he has three kids and i've seen them the boy was just a toddler when i met them and they all call me auntie and as they grew up we sponsored the eldest girl to go to catering hotel management college and i'll never forget puru came to me one day when i was up and he said didi this man has come he wants to marry yasu does you find out if she has a boyfriend i said well, you find out you're her father he said ah you are didi you are auntie you must so i called her up and we met up and i said 
some some guy told dad that he wants to marry you. This is who he is. And she went, I said, well, have you got a boyfriend? She said, no, auntie. I said, well, what am I going to tell dad? She said, oh, tell him I don't want to marry that person. Okay. So I get home that night and she rings me. She says, auntie, I lied. Um, I do have a sort of boyfriend. He's very nice, but I haven't kissed him yet. I'm like, okay, good. Um, so then I had to go and tell Peru that she had a boyfriend. So he said, right, you must meet him and find out all these things. I'm like, well, what things? He said, get a pen and paper. So I had to write down all these things I had to ask about, him, all the important things, right? And so we met up at this really nice outdoor garden restaurant in Kathmandu. And of the three of us, I do not know who was the more nervous. We were all, <laughs> all terrified. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I gave the nod of approval. He's a lovely, lovely guy. And so they got married on a very hot May morning in Kathmandu. Because it was a Brahmin wedding, there was no beer, there was no meat, and we were drinking warm Fanta. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to die. And now they, they moved to Australia a few years ago, got a gorgeous little baby girl. Um, and that's really lovely. And the other two kids are still in, still there and we catch up all the time. It's, um, it's, really, it's really lovely to have an extra family. And, yeah. and that, that's one of the most treasured things about Nepal is that it, like, it's a small country and everybody in Kathmandu knows everybody else. It's kind of like GK2, but not, you know. Um, <laughs> so, it, it, I, and I always feel very welcome there. You know, when I go there and I go to immigration with my passport and I say hello to the guy in the parley and ask him how he is, he's like, oh, did he? And he starts flicking through the passport. It's like, again, I go, hmm, again. Yeah. <laughs> 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 No, it's a, it's a beautiful place and it's, it breaks my heart to see what's going on up there at the moment and, we, you know, just getting out of the earthquake. It breaks my heart to see what's going on in India and just about everywhere else on the planet, to be honest. But, um, yeah, Nepal's one of those uh, one of those really special places that I'd, I will always treasure having gone to, you know. And luckily, when I was in Delhi, of course, it was just an hour and a half plane trip away. No. Uh, and, and what was it like in Pakistan? Because, you know, Judy, I got to tell you this. I've been watching so many of yes. these, you know, food vlogs, uh, you know, on, uh -huh. on YouTube. And I have such a huge um, desire to go to Pakistan sometime and have food. But apparently I can't because the political yeah. system is such that. It's so sad, isn't it? It's really sad. Pakistan, when I first was going there and people would ask me I would say it's like India but it's clean and it works um, like, <laughs> like if, if the bus is slated to leave at 9.30 that's what time the bus leaves if your ass isn't in a seat you've missed it um, yeah, simple as that I never got food poisoning in Pakistan in fact every time I came back I weighed considerably more than I had when I got there um, they're like their dal, the way they make the dal is just exactly the way I like it. It's not runny, it's the kind of dal you, you have with bread and you can just pick up a handful of it in the bread and eat it. It's just absolutely superb. They have wonderful mangoes there too. Yes, yes, I know, India's got Alfonso mangoes, but they have Chonson mangoes there which are superior. Wow. Beautiful. They're almost like the peaches and cream of mangoes. Wonderful. You used to buy like a half box of them and then take them back to the hotel and just eat them. Yeah. Um, uh, and the people there were almost unfailingly polite and helpful. Um, because, you know, a lot of people, even back in the 80s and 90s, weren't traveling to, to Pakistan. Um, and so I'd be walking down the street, my little kurta salva and my scarf on and my backpack and my map upside down because I'm stupid. And some little man would come up to me and 
seriously, they would say things like, Madam, may I be of assistance? Pardon, who speaks like that? Um, and, this, and they wouldn't say to you, go down past the bookshop, turn left, and then they, they would say, oh, Madam, it's just five minutes, I'll walk with you. And so they would walk you to where you were going. And one time I was waiting for a flight to go from Islamabad down to Karachi, and there was this huge, huge thunderstorm, and the flight couldn't come in for us to jump on it. So, so they put on a, a free buffet fee for us all. I, of course, was the only foreign woman in the building, and there was this American man who was just screaming his head off about, well, I've got an important business meeting, I have to get on the plane. And everyone's looking at him, and then they look at me, and I'm like, Australian, Australian, I don't know who the man is. Um, this, this army chap came up to me, and he said, Madam, I see you're on your own. Um, PIA is putting on a, a buffet for us. Let me escort you, because these fellows will just push you out of the way, and you won't get any food. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. So me and Captain Imran, went up to the buffet and he pushed all the people out of the way and so I could actually get some food before they took it all. And then he arranged to sit next to me on the plane because in Pakistan, when you're getting on a plane, this is how it used to be, they wouldn't put a woman next to a man she wasn't related to. It always made the seating arrangements very interesting, but he arranged to sit with me because he was an army man. But he was getting off halfway on the plane when we stopped in Lahore. So he arranged for a nice businessman to sit next to me. So, so that was fine. We arrived in Karachi about three in the morning when I should have been there at seven o'clock at night. Of course, I didn't have a hotel booked. So this nice businessman next to me said, have you got a hotel booked? I went, no. He said, I have a Mercedes and driver. Let me, let me take you around. What's your budget? I'll never forget, I was so embarrassed because my budget was 50 rupees. <laughs> Even back then was embarrassing. And God bless this man, he took, he went to, I think it was three different hotels we went to in the end, in the cheap end of town. He actually went in and inspected the rooms for things like peepholes. He was a really decent man. And so I arranged to meet him the next day to buy him a cup of tea because that's all you can do for people is buy them a cup of tea. And he gave me a gift from his wife. You know, I mean, they just such a, and they would say things like, "Thank you for coming to my country. Please tell people we're decent people. Tell them that everything they see isn't the truth." I mean, the the countryside there is gorgeous. The mountains are lovely because you don't have to trek to them. You can drive to them. You you can drive up for a couple of days and get beautiful views of Nanga Parbat K2. Or the, and you, you don't have to lift a foot, basically. Um, it's, it's a really, really wonderful, wonderful place. And some of the old monuments are brilliant. Uh, really amazing. And, you know, so, I would also encourage a lot of people who are watching this who have, like, this preconceived notion of Pakistan being the bad guys or India being the good guys. You know, mm. I was uh, Judy in uh, Muscat in Oman for about a year and a half, two years. So I was working there, you know, as a radio presenter for the morning show and I was the radio station's music manager. It was it was very exciting for me because I've never really lived in another country as such and, you know, worked there. And, uh, you know, uh, my experience of living in a, uh, in a Muslim country was like I actually didn't know anything about Oman when I was going there. Because uh, apparently not too many vlogs or anything have been made about Muscat or Oman. And, oh. and and there were like very few photos that I saw. So in my mind, like, you know, when I was looking at Google Maps, I was like, desert, desert, desert. My office building is right there. So, <laughs> so when I landed there, I actually didn't know what to expect. But it was a beautiful place. There's apparently greenery. It rains. I never knew it rained in the Middle East. It rains there once or twice a year. I mean, like, it doesn't rain that yeah. often. Uh, you know, people were friendly. Uh, they were so welcoming. They were so nice. And trust me, Judy, I've, I've been born and brought up in Delhi, okay? I would actually wonder why is this person being so nice to me? <laughs> yeah, it's suspicious. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've never actually had people be that nice to me. So I was like... Yeah. It took me a whole month and a half and two, three months, as a matter of fact, to get used to it and to be comfortable with that whole idea. And that is when I realized, you know, the, the Muslim culture, 
I don't know, at least in the Middle East, uh, and I'm pretty sure as you're telling us in Pakistan as well, is that of hospitality. They just basically, the that's their, that's their default setting is to be nice to people. I remember one time in Pakistan, I was staying in one of my famous you know, 50 rupee hotels, the Orange Hotel Lahore, very <coughs> charming place. And I met this Belgian guy, Frank, and we just happened to run into each other that morning at reception and he was going outside seeing to a few things he said why don't you come with me okay yeah. so we went to the big mosque there in Lahore which is a beautiful beautiful building and everyone all the local chaps who were talking to us in the mosque just assumed we were married so we kind of just went along with it explanations are just overrated and then we were walking through a park because we saw a guy with an ice cream store <coughs> and we ran into this family <laughs> of girls who were out with their older brother as the chaperone and they were chatting to us over like they were very interested in talking to foreigners yeah because they didn't get to see so many and so they invited us to their house for dinner and it was in i remember near the lion gate in old lahore and we we got there and we bought some a box of mitai for sweets and stuff you know and some flowers and we had to walk up this really steep kind of old cobbled narrow laneway that had the drains on either side. <coughs> we get to the place. And they had spent what must have been a fortune on getting a chicken for us and all this lovely food and stuff. And we're sitting on the floor and, and Auntie came out from wherever they stored her and was chatting away to us because she could remember before partition, you know, so she was yabbering away about that. And then they brought out what what we thought was pani puri with rose water because it was right had the pink water so we're like oh yeah we really like these pour the water in stick it in your mouth it wasn't rose water <laughs> it, it was, was chili oh it was chili water chili. and we were just like <clears throat> and then the girls said can we show you our bedroom I'm like, yeah sure so we went upstairs and they had the charpoys on the roof that's where they slept in summer they're like, oh, it's not very nice. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is beautiful. They could sleep on the roof with the stars and the moon and a lovely cool breeze. Who wants to sleep in the house? It's August. It's 4,000 degrees down there. Um, and, and they just, they were just so lovely. And I remember when they unwrapped the box of sweets, Auntie was folding the paper and uncreasing it, putting it in the cupboard to keep for another gift for someone that's so cute. My mother still does yeah. that. <laughs> and I'm like so annoyed. <clears throat> I'm like, whoever you give this to, what if they figure out that this has been used before? She's like, no, no, I'll keep it in a Bible. Ah, but how do you get the sticky tape off? See, that's the bit that gives it away. Man, I, I, the, I've got no idea how she does it. But my mother is an expert at these things. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> Superb. So, so you know, um, it's it's almost time for us to wrap up the show, Judy. Uh, Good, great. Is, is there is there anything else? Because, because I have a feeling that you know we can have like so many shows where you would still never run out of your stories. <laughs> you may never stop talking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's so it's so much fun to talk to you, Judy. And I feel um, so you know. Uh, so what is happening right now in your life, Judy? What? Uh, What's the current scenario kind of like? Well, I'm in limbo in um, Sri Lanka. I'm, I'm having a nice life. We've, we were doing okay with COVID and then we weren't doing okay and we sort of aren't now. So we've got a lockdown at the moment starting at midnight tonight. But it's Eid weekend, so that's, that's understandable. They try to do that now for all of the like festival weekends. Uh, because a lot of people, of course, like to travel to be with their family. So in the days before that, everyone kind of leaves Colombo except me. So when I'm doing an online um, shopping order, it doesn't take very long to turn up because there's no one else in town. Uh, but, you know, life's good. Um, I could have been stuck a lot worse places when the pandemic happened. Um, a lot worse things could have happened to me in the last 18 months. Um Okay, yeah, we all get bored with being locked down at home, but go online, read a book, watch some movies, connect with people, and be happy. If you're well and your loved ones are well, be happy, be grateful for that. And I know it's hard not to moan about the government, 
or the this and the that, you know, that's made these things happen, but that's not going to change anything. All you can do is be happy and be safe. Please be safe. I'm going to tell that to everybody and your message is going to go everywhere in 65 plus countries judy uh, thank you so much for your time you're such a wonderful person i have a feeling that you know uh, this is not the last time you're going to be on the show because i'm pretty damn sure that my listeners are going to tell me we want judy back well i'd be happy to come back if they'll have me it was great i i really enjoyed it um it's hey i like talking about myself uh no i i just like to share things with people that's the way we get on in this world by sharing things um you don't get anywhere by being quiet and surly you know you just get a reputation i've got a reputation as a chatterbox what can i say <laughs> <laughs> well uh, we here at the ashish david show uh, what am i saying we it's just pretty much me i here at the ashish david show love you know uh, <laughs> love having people who are chatterboxes and who have such amazing and you know entertaining stories i'm 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 pretty sure you're going to be back you know pretty soon because my listeners are going to demand for it uh you're such a lovely person you've got such a great aura you know you're an example of someone who's actually lived a wonderful life and doesn't want to stop anytime soon uh, you're such an inspiring person judy and uh, really 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 thank you so much for uh, being on the show oh it was my pleasure thank you so much for inviting me it's um it's a lovely break in my otherwise exciting day of staring out the window at the rain um and looking at the <laughs> on that note judy thank you, thank uh, you so much ha- have a lovely day ahead i hope the storm goes down i you know i hope you order some nice food enjoy yourself i'm not there but uh, well i'm there in spirit and uh, you, you know uh, hopefully you know the world will become a better place and we shall catch up soon i don't know where and when but i'm pretty sure i'm i'm sure it's going to happen on the ashish david show <laughs> it just might. It just might. <laughs> Thank you. Take care, everyone. Be good to each other. Bye, Judy. Take care. Bye.